The second reading for this evening comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 21. And that's found on page 1023 of most of your pew Bibles. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. This is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. And there had John the Baptist beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl, who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot to the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides women and children. Thank you, Lucy. Our friends, we are starting a, a series, a new series. We're really just continuing on where we left off at the beginning of last year when we've been looking at Matthew. We've been doing Matthew in blocks each year, so we're up to Matthew chapter 14 to 18. And so this block, we'll be looking at the miracles, the teachings and some parables of Jesus. Uh, but again, as we come to God's word, it is God's word for us, so let's ask God to help us as we look at it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read your word, we pray that you will be convicting us by your spirit. Help us to see what we must see about the person of Jesus, who he really is, and what we must do in response to him. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while when I read the Bible, you come across passages in the Bible that are just a bit outright strange, a bit weird. Why is this passage doing here? What does it mean? doesn't really make sense. And then once in a while you read stories that we've just become so familiar with that, that we just know it. It's, it's not so important anymore. Well, today, what I think we get in this passage that we've just heard read, we get both of it. We have uh, two stories, two feasts, two kings, one strange, one that we've become so familiar with, but both ask the one question. Both ask the same question. And that question is a question really that 
everyone, all people have been asking since the first century. It's a question that people have been asking since the first Christians. It's a question that, that, that Jesus, it's about, since people have been asking, since Jesus became a man, entered into human history and became flesh. And that question really is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who really is Jesus? And so in the Gospel of Matthew so far, we've done 13 chapters, so far the people in the Gospel of Matthew, they can't really nail down who Jesus really is. What he says and what he does, it just stumps them. They're, they're all confused. And so King Herod, right at the beginning of Matthew, he wanted the baby Jesus dead because he was seen as a threat to his reign. And then you've got people in the region of Galilee, so northern Israel. They just think he's a miracle worker and so they bring their sick, their disease, their demon possessed to Jesus to be healed. He's just a miracle worker to them. And then you've got the Pharisees, the leaders, the rulers, or the religious teachers. Well, they think Jesus, he's a blasphemer. He's claiming to be able to do what only God can do and that is to forgive sins. And more than that, the Pharisees, remember early on, they, uh, they claim that Jesus is really just a magician who can manipulate the powers of the underworld to, to do what he wants, to perform the miracles that, that he does. And then John the Baptist, he's still a bit confused. He even wondered, now, are you really the Christ? He sent his disciples to Jesus. Are you really the Christ? Or should we wait and expect for someone else? And then, when Jesus went to his hometown, those in his hometown thought, well, we know your father and mother and your brothers and sisters. You can't really be anything special. And so this type of questioning, what was there in the Gospel of Matthew, and if you think about it, it's a question that we still ask today. People still ask, who is Jesus? And to some people, Jesus was really just a first century peacekeeping hippie. He's a peaceman. Or Jesus was just a moral teacher. Or, or Jesus was just one of the prophets of God. Not that special, but just one of the prophets. Or to some people, Jesus really just was just an ordinary human being. But the question for tonight as we look at this passage is, who really is Jesus? What, what do we learn of who Jesus is? And so that's what we'll look at. And so in the first of these feasts, so do have your Bibles to Matthew 14. In the first of these two feasts, we read of this guy, Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is different to Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king. He was the ruler during the, the birth, at the time of the birth of Jesus. He was the one who sent out the soldiers to murder babies around the birth of Jesus. He was also the one who was responsible for expanding, in a sense, rebuilding the second temple. That was Herod the Great. Now, the Herod we're looking at here was his son. This is Herod Antipas. And he's called a tetrarch, not, not a king. And that's because he's merely one of four rulers in that region. Really just puppet rulers placed there by the Romans, by Caesar Augustus. The other three rulers uh, were his brothers and his sister. Now, at this stage, the news of Jesus, what Jesus has been teaching, what Jesus was doing, was spreading far and wide in the region of Galilee, which was the region of this Herod. And that was perhaps because when Jesus, early on in Matthew, he sent his disciples out two by two, well, news got out about who Jesus was. 
And now at this point, at this stage, Herod heard of this man Jesus. Now rather than being pleased that there's this famous miracle worker in his own region, what did this Herod say? Now I want you to look at this verse. Look at verse 1. It's very interesting. In fact, it's quite strange what he says. He says he knows that this person is called Jesus, but he says, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, why would Herod say that? People knew that Jesus was called Jesus. Why would he confuse Jesus with John the Baptist? Why would he claim that John the Baptist came back from the dead and that somehow his powers are at work in Jesus? Well, you see, for us to understand this, what Matthew has done now is he's given us a little flashback to what has already taken place. And so what we see now with this story about John the Baptist and his imprisonment and his murder, his execution, is really a flashback. It's like what you see in movies. You watch a movie and then there's a scene where it's a, really a flashback to what has already happened to explain the present. So this is it. It's there, a flashback to explain why Herod would claim such a thing about Jesus. And so let's look at this flashback. Herod, he always had it in for John. Did not like John the Baptist, did not like what he was teaching. Had him arrested and wanted him dead. And that's because we're told here in this flashback, verses 4 and 5, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her, that is Herodias, his brother's wife. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. You see, what happened was Herod Antipas, he fell in love with his brother's wife, Herod Philip. He was the other tetrarch, get that? And this lady, her name was Herodias. I mean, it's strange. He fell in love with his brother's wife. This is the stuff of daytime TV, bold and a beautiful type of stuff. Not that I watch that stuff, but you know, you see that here, very strange. And so what happened was Herodias, the wife of Philip, divorced him. Herod had his own wife, he divorced his wife, and the two got together. And John, this prophet, he was outraged. He was thinking, this cannot be. If you obey the laws of God, this cannot be. It is unlawful. And so John the Baptist was speaking out against Herod Antipas speaking against what he was doing. You cannot divorce her and marry someone else. That's unlawful. You know, just imagine if that were to happen today. You know, our rulers, our politicians, they get divorced for some silly, irreconcilable difference and, and we say that is unlawful. I mean, we'll be shot down. But here, that was what John the Baptist did and Herod hated him for that. And so what happened? Well, next we read, in, still in the flashback, at this feast now, on Herod's birthday, there came an opportune time for Herodias, his new wife, to scheme. Now, Herodias' daughter danced for Herod, we're told. Not sure what type of dancing, but it really impressed Herod. And I'm sure it's not the modern type of dancing where you, at the disco, stand in one spot and shake up and down. That, that was not the type that impressed Herod. Something else. Herod, got impressed, promised her whatever she asked for. And then she goes to ask her mother, Herodias, what do you want? She said, we want, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. 
Now Herod, he was distressed, but he was concerned for his own self-image. He made an oath. And so he had John beheaded in prison and brought his head on a platter to that girl. And finally, in this flashback, John's body was buried by his disciples and they reported this to Jesus. So that's the flashback. That was in the past to explain the present. Now, why then would Herod say what he did about Jesus? How does that explain why Herod confused Jesus with John the Baptist? Why would Herod claim that, that Jesus is this resurrected John the Baptist? Who really is this Jesus Christ? Well, you see, to Herod, Jesus was, in a sense, like a powerful magician, a very similar claim to what the Pharisees were claiming or accusing Jesus of. Do you remember that? Well, when Jesus cast out demons, evil spirits left people, what did the Pharisees claim or what did they accuse Jesus of? They claim, well, this isn't from God. In fact, Jesus cast out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus was merely a magician manipulating the powers of the underworld for his own benefit, to use the powers of the underworld for his own way. And so that was what Herod was afraid of. You see, during this time there was this superstitious belief that those, that one of the most powerful ghosts there are, sought after by magicians, were the ghosts of those who were beheaded. That's what was what they believed during that time, a superstitious belief. Those who died violently made dangerous ghosts to manipulate against others. And so the beheaded ones were the worst, were the scariest, the angriest of the ghosts. And that was Herod's fear, that this Jesus, in a sense, this powerful magician in his eyes, was making John the Baptist's ghost active and using that power against Herod. That was his fear. Now, did Herod get Jesus right? So we're thinking, is that one question? Who is Jesus? Well, to Herod... He was just this powerful magician who manipulated the ghosts of the dead. Jesus was someone to be feared. Well, that's a question of the passage, but yet we don't get the answer yet. It becomes clearer as we move along. And so now we move to the second feast. What happened in this second feast? Well, Jesus now, we're back in the present. Jesus hears this report of John's death. He withdrew by boat to a solitary place, perhaps to pray, perhaps to mourn. But then what happened? Well, the crowds, they heard and would, in a sense, not let Jesus go. So Jesus travelled by boat to another place in the Sea of Galilee. They travelled by foot along the coast, following Jesus, and they got there before Jesus. And so in verse 14 we read, When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. You see, what we're seeing here is a glimpse of what Jesus is like, how Jesus is different to the other ruler of the land. Unlike the ruler of that land, unlike the rulers of that day who looked, upon, looked down upon the poor, the diseased, the needy, Jesus, he saw them and had compassion. In Mark, we're told that Jesus had compassion because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. So here Jesus had compassion. Their rulers, their own rulers, were hopeless. Their rulers were oppressive. But Jesus saw himself as this good shepherd over the people of God, the good shepherd who has come from God, the good shepherd who is compassionate. And now we come to the feast, this 
grand miracle. Now, I'm sure with this miracle, many of us are familiar with this. It's a miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. We're familiar with it, but as we read it, we need to seriously ask, what does this tell us about who Jesus really is? I mean, just think about that. We're so familiar with it, I think we often lose the wonder how miraculous it really is. I mean, who gets 5,000 men and perhaps another 5,000 women and children following him? Imagine almost the population of Surrey Hills. There are about 13,000 people in this suburb. About 10,000 congregating, perhaps filling up Surrey Gardens to listen to a guy. Who can do that? Who's got that power? And who can do such a thing like what this guy does here? Who can take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed the thousands? I mean, that is miraculous. I think we've become so familiar with loss, how wonderful, how miraculous, how grand, how great that really is. I mean, just imagine if you were there sitting. You're on the hill with your family. You've been listening to this guy for a long time. He's preaching away. And, and it's getting late in the day. You're getting a bit hungry. Your family's getting a bit hungry. And then suddenly you see these disciples come around. There are thousands of you sitting around. These disciples of Jesus, they come around with baskets filled with bread and fish. And you wonder, where did all this come from? I mean, you saw Jesus. You saw Jesus come from the boat. The bread did not come from the boat. You saw Jesus come from the uh, boat. You did not see any fish. And so you're thinking, where did all this bread and fish come from? Remember, there are thousands of them. How could this be? And then you're sitting there and you hear perhaps from someone closer to where Jesus was, up the front. They're saying, it's a miracle. It all began with only five loaves and two fish. At the beginning, that was all there is. And so just imagine there, being filled, being fed, about, about 10,000 of you. I mean, just think about that today even. Try feeding, let's say, 10,000 people. How would you do that? Well, if you were to buy every one of those 10,000 people a large Big Mac meal, how would you do that? Well, you need $100,000, about 10 bucks each, isn't it? It would take a long time. It would take a really long time. Not only that, you have to buy it, you have to pay for it. But this was different. Food from nowhere, fruit from heaven. Jesus provided. This was a miracle on a mega scale. I mean, I've read this story so often that I've lost how spectacular it really was. About 10,000 people fed and filled. Hard to imagine, but it was a massive miracle. So who can do such a thing? I mean, we need to ask that question, who is this Jesus? And then we read at the end, there were lots left over. Everyone had more than enough to eat. And so you can see from this feast the contrast between the drunken feast of the ruler Antipas, at which John the prophet was cruelly beheaded, and then you see this gracious uh, feast in the desert provided by the true leader, the good shepherd, who had compassion for the people of God. But now the question still remains, who is this Jesus really? Herod thought he was just a powerful magician. And these people sitting there, the thousands sitting there, well, I suspect many of them didn't really have a clue. They were so far away, they probably didn't have a clue where all this food came from. They probably didn't really have a clue who this Jesus really was. Yes, he was a miracle worker. He taught excellent things. He's a better leader than Herod. But they probably did not really know. And so they, like Herod, 
really missed the mark on nailing who Jesus really was. And so then the question still remains, who is Jesus? Now for us, it is different. For a careful Jewish reader, it is different. You see, for us, we have the whole Old Testament. We have that to reflect on. You see, when we read this story, what should this story remind us of? How is this story similar to something else that has already happened? You see, the miracle here in Matthew is laden with Old Testament imagery and anticipation. In our first reading, in Exodus 16, the people of Israel, they were in the desert and they experienced God's miraculous provision, manna, like bread from heaven. And now what we have here is one greater than Moses has arrived. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, we read that there, there is this expectation, this anticipation of the good shepherd who would come and look after the people of God. The rulers of God did a terrible job, but yet Jesus here now comes, and he is the good shepherd. He cares for them, and he provides for them. And even in Jewish tradition, they had this expectation of the return of manna when the Messiah comes. And so with that Old Testament understanding, you can see what they had there wasn't just a nice miracle that Jesus did. What they had there was a disclosure of who Jesus really was, the Messiah they were expecting, the Messiah in their midst. The true shepherd, the true leader, the true Messiah was right there in their midst. And so who is Jesus? Well, by doing what he did, who can do such a thing? By doing what he did, he was disclosing he is this true shepherd, this true leader, this true king. You see, the miracles done by Jesus in the gospel, we read them, we know them, they weren't done just because Jesus could do it. They were always done to disclose who he really was, his identity. And here we see he is this long-awaited king, this Messiah from God. That is the story. But now, of course, like always, we want to ask, What does this story have to do with us, with me? It's good to hear that, well, Jesus was not a magician. No one could have really believed that apart from Herod. And it's nice to hear that Jesus was this long-awaited Messiah. But what does it really have to do with me today? I'm sure that's a question you will be asking. What does it have to do with us? Well, you see, we must recognise that the stories in the Bible are not about us, but they are there for us. And so they do have something to do with us. Now the Gospel of John, in the same miracle event, he actually explains the significance of what happened, of the feeding. So if you turn to John chapter 6, a few books over, John chapter 6 verse 32, at the same event, after that Jesus explained the spiritual significance of the feeding. Chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And now jump down to verse 35. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And you see what Jesus is doing there. He's showing his anticipation, his fulfilment of what they were waiting for. It has 
everything to do with us today. It has, if it really is the bread of God from heaven. It has everything to do with us. You see, he's not just the Messiah, but he's the Messiah who offers himself to us, for us, that we might live as we read there. What Jesus is in a sense saying is, if you get me wrong, you don't get life. If you don't believe in me, you don't get life. You don't get eternal life. But if you get me right, if you know who I am, you get life. You get eternal life. And it's perhaps no coincidence that the feeding miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, was close to the Passover. By the time of the next Passover, the next year, Jesus shared a final feast with his disciples. The last supper, we've heard of that story. He shared that with his disciples and at that supper he made clear that he's not just the bread from heaven, but he becomes the bread broken for his people. Jesus declared, my body will be broken for you that you might have life. You see, this is who Jesus is, the long-awaited Messiah, the bread from heaven, God's provision for our salvation. And so in the end, what this feeding of the 5,000 what the Last Supper, the following Passover, anticipates and foreshadows is really the great, the great feast, the great banquet of heaven itself. I mean, tonight I'll be going to a banquet. Some of you will know, those of us who are of Asian backgrounds, it is Chinese New Year and we always have this large massive banquet with weird food, sea cucumber, abalone, prawns, don't know if I really like them, but they're expensive, so I must like them. Food galore tonight. Great banquet, but if you think about the greatest banquet we have on earth and we think about what Jesus really offers, it's got nothing on that. Nothing on that at all. Not an iota on the great banquet of heaven. I mean, it's a banquet not just for, for my family. It's a banquet not just for the 5,000. But we read later in Revelation the great banquet of heaven for the great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne in the presence of the Messiah. What's good about that banquet is not the food, it is the Messiah. It's to be in his presence. And so as we think about this story today, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Feeding 5,000 miraculously, how do you do that? 10,000, how do you do that? And now, hard to imagine, now just imagine the other banquet, the banquet that we're all called to, the banquet of heaven that you're invited to. But you see, to be a part of that, you have to know who Jesus is. And so the question I want to leave you with is, who is Jesus to you? The Messiah, or like Herod, someone to be feared? He is the Messiah. Let that be true for you. Let me pray.